If you have your Bible, you might want to go ahead and open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. But let me tell you something about somebody that I know everybody's aware of. Teddy Roosevelt. We're familiar with Teddy Roosevelt. He was the United States president. He was born in 1858. He was the 26th president of the United States. Uh, he served two terms as president. Uh, he took over after McKinley was assassinated and then served two terms in which he was elected. Uh, he was known for his exuberant personality, his, um, his masculinity. You know, he was very robust and, and he was like the model of, you know, he-man kind of a thing. And, uh, but what a lot of people don't realize about, uh, Teddy Roosevelt is that he wasn't always so robust. As a child, he had, uh, asthma very severely and it limited his activities. He wasn't able to do what a lot of other children were able to do and he grew up very sickly, couldn't even attend public school. Um, <clears throat> when he got a little bit older, he was 26 years old, and on a day in February, uh, his mother passed away. Uh, if that weren't sad enough, it was that very same day that his wife uh, gave birth to their son, and she died in the giving, uh, the birthing process. So on the same day, his mother and his wife passed away. He had trials to overcome in his life. But what is really amazing to me about Teddy Roosevelt happened in 1912, October the 14th. I don't know if you know this about him. We probably know who he was. He was a president. But one of the most amazing things happened to Teddy Roosevelt on October the 14th, 1912, that a lot of people don't know about. Roosevelt was scheduled to deliver uh, a... a, uh, Speech. He was on the campaign trail and he was running for his third term in office. And um, he was leaving the hotel to go make the speech. And a man jumped out and shot him. Shot him in the chest. And uh, all of his handlers and everybody insisted that he go to the hospital. But he said, no, I've got a speech to make. And so he goes on and makes the speech. But here's what it, here's how he begins his speech. As he stood up, he said, friends, I shall ask you to be as quiet as possible. And uh, not, not a real grabber on an opening line, uh, but he said, I just want everybody to be as quietly as possible. I don't think you fully understand what has just happened to me. I have just been shot. Well, when he said that, there was a gasp. You know, everybody couldn't believe it. And uh, what had happened is that there was a, uh, a saloon, a tavern uh, keeper that uh, said, he was later said to be insane uh, when he went to court or to trial. But he, he said he loved Roosevelt as a two-term president, loved him. But he hated him as a third-term president and did not want that to happen. And that's why he shot him. So Roosevelt stood before all these people, and and here's what saved his life. He had a 50-page speech to give that night, and he tucked it in his coat pocket, folded it over, tucked it in his coat pocket, and with those papers, 
you can see, you know, the, the bullet holes um, where it had slowed down uh, the bullets. Uh, it also, he had a, a little glasses case, you know how you put your glasses in and uh, they snap closed. He had one of those in his shirt pocket. And so it went through a heavy coat. It, the bullet went through uh, this folded up speech and caught the corner of that glasses case. But it's still embedded in between his ribs. Uh, the doctors later, after he wouldn't go to the doctor until he finished his speech, which he stood for 90 minutes and delivered this speech with a bullet in his chest. He showed the people that he was sincere and on, he, he opened his jacket to show them the, the bloody stain on his white shirt. Um, if you ever thought this guy wasn't tough, man, he, he, he was, he was, uh, quite a man. But he finished his speech because he said, I, I have this and I, I've got to finish. And, and the point is, even though he was wounded, he finished. And even though there are some things that happened to him in life that could have derailed a lot of people and just sent them into a tailspin and, and, and he's just of no value to anybody for the rest of his life because of the pain and the misfortune that he experienced in life, he, he didn't let that stop him. Now I say all that to say this, you know, we're a congregation of 380 or so folks here. And when I look around and when you look around, I think it doesn't take very long to realize that, uh, you know, our view of the church is not, or should not be a bunch of pristine, uh, sterile people that life has never affected. They're just going through, and, and we're oblivious to the, the pains of the world, and, and God has just raised us up to a level that we don't experience the things that the rest of the people in the world experience. Listen, when I look around, I see walking wounded people. I see people that have difficulties in their life. I see people that, uh, maybe, maybe it's your, your spouse that a, a violation of trust has taken place to where, where you can't trust them anymore. And, and that, de- that, that's a devastating barrier and, and you're dealing with that day by day because of certain things that have happened in the past. That, that, that may be true of some. It may be true of some that we have tried and tried and tried, and one of the greatest pains of our life is that we are not able to convert our spouse. We, we want them to come to Christ, and we, we have tried, and they still, they refuse. And every day we go to bed and pillow our heads, and we pray for their salvation, that something would awaken them to realize the urgency and we live in fear of them not doing and waiting too long and and it's a heavy heavy burden some live with that on a daily basis some of us um, may have uh, children who worry us they, they uh, have turned and, and walked away and gone a different direction than what the Lord would want them to do. And, and you love your children and, and it's painful and you deal with that every day of your life. And, and uh, you know, we can go on and on. We can talk about our parents and we can talk. There, there are so many factors in life that, that rise up and affect us and hurt us. We, we may have lost loved ones. Uh, and, and that's created great pain in our life. My, my point is this. I don't think that if you've lived any length of time at all, 
you've gotten through life without wounds. And if you're sitting there saying, well, I I don't have any marriage issues and I don't have any issues with my children and I don't have any issues with my, and I don't have any health issues and I don't have any, you know, well, just hang on. They're coming. Um, Just give it a little time and you'll have issues to, to deal with. I've heard many people say, you know, the the thing about church is I come and I've got all these problems and I come and I look at people and they have their act all together. I mean, they they sit there and they they got their suits on and their their dresses on and they look so put together and and they could never understand where I'm coming from. We can. The fact that we come to church and we put on a smile and, and we worship God, and we wear our Sunday go-to-meeting clothes doesn't mean we don't have and don't understand heartache and trials and wounds. So what I want us to do this morning is this. How do we conduct ourselves, and what are we to do? You know, we're wounded. All of us have wounds in our lives. And there are a lot of metaphors in Scripture concerning, you know, what the church is to be. And sometimes it's the body of Christ, and sometimes it's the sheepfold. And some, you know, there's a whole lot of metaphors used. But one of those metaphors is we are the army of the Lord, and we are to be good soldiers. Well, what are we to do if, as a soldier, we get wounded? What should we do? That's what I want to talk about this morning. What what I want to talk about is being wounded, but not letting those wounds defeat us. If you have your Bible in first or second Corinthians chapter four, begin reading with me in verse seven. He said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's talking about the gospel that the excellency of the power of God, uh, may be of God and not of us. Um, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Um, he, he goes on, but let, let's stop right there. And let me just basically say this. Here's what Paul's saying. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, man, we have been put through the ringer. There are things that have happened to us. We live at risk of death and peril every single day of our lives. And and even though we do, and we're hard-pressed, and we're perplexed, and we're persecuted, and we're struck down, we're not defeated. We don't despair. The Apostle Paul was talking about physical things to some degree. And in Galatians chapter uh, 6, he talks about how, you know, I bear in my body the marks of Christ. You want to know how much I love Jesus? Well, just take a look at my back. I, I can only imagine what he looked at. Five times he received 39 stripes, beaten by rods three occasions, and, and stoned and so forth. 
He said, he said, I bear in my body the marks of Christ. Yeah, I'm wounded, but I am not defeated. He pressed on. And my point is this. As children of God, we are wounded. There are things in life that have crushed us, that have broken our hearts, that take away and try to rob us of peace. But what do we do? Well, let me give you three suggestions this morning. And then the lesson will be yours. First of all, those of us who are wounded need to give comfort to others. If you have your Bible there, just turn back a couple chapters, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and look at what the Apostle Paul says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the, listen, the God of all comforts who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Here's what that passage says. God is a God of all comfort, and he takes care of us, and he gives us comfort in our hard times. And you know what? What we should then do is take that same comfort that comforted us and comfort others who are hurting, and who have problems. If you're wounded, give comfort to others. What is it that helps you get through the day? If you have problems in your marriage or problems with your children or health problems or or financial problems, what is it that gets you through the day? What is it, where do you go to find peace of mind that gives you hope and security and peace? Is it not in God? Is it not in things that are yet to come that are better, the promises of God? Can you not then share those things? The peace that God gives you should be what you're sharing with other people. There's hardship in life. We can't escape it. But not everybody has the peace that you have as they deal with their hardship. They don't have hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel for them because they don't know the comfort of God. We do as children of God. And so what we should do, those of us who are wounded, we should take the message of God to those who are suffering and say, this is, this is hope. This is comfort. This is how I deal with it. Um, isn't it true also that we can better help people if we've experienced something very similar? Uh, how can how can we help if we haven't sometimes experienced some of the things? And, and that's not to say we have to experience everything, but is there not a, a sense of empathy that can only be gained by going through it ourselves? In a sense, you know, do you think in the in the way that God measures good and bad and usefulness and so forth? Do you think that God could ever? bring suffering our way to make us more effective and more useful to other people, to be able to minister more fully than we would have otherwise? Can that not be something that God does in his providence and says, you know, this won't be fun. There's no pleasure in it. But man, you'll be much more valuable to me after you've come through on the other side. Let yourself be a tool, an instrument in the hands of God. 
and reach out to people who are suffering and those things in which you have experience and you have found peace in God, then you share with them the peace that, that, that can be theirs through a relationship with God. If you're wounded, give comfort to others. Also this, if you're wounded, give hope to others. Turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. I like the imagery that the writer of the Hebrews letter gives us. He says in chapter 12 and verse 1 beginning, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He, he, he paints for us a picture of an athletic competition. And all these people are in the stands, and there's a cloud of witnesses that they have... He's just finished chapter 11, and there are people that have been cut in two. They have been, they have been uh, tortured. They have been burned alive. He goes through the list of things. They refused uh, to, to find life. They died for their convictions. These people endured hardship. We've not yet resisted the blood. But these people died for the Lord. And the stadium is filled with them. And as they watch us live our lives, the imagery, as they are there as witnesses that it can be done. Look, there's a stadium full of people that have done it. You can finish this race. All these people have. It can be done. We need to give hope to those who are hopeless. When things happen to people in their life and they feel overwhelmed, it should be the children of God who says, this isn't it. This isn't the final chapter. There's more. There's hope. There's purpose for your living. And again, the purpose that we have, how, in terms of God's providence, listen, I don't want to suffer. I want as pleasant a life as possible. I don't want to go through hardship. I don't want to to have bad things happen where I grow through that kind of maturity. I don't want it. I'd much rather have a life of ease and waters are calm and just make it all the way to 98 and, and just pass away in my sleep. You know, that that's the way it would be all right with me. But that may not be the best. And that may not be the the most useful use of Steve Higginbotham that the Lord sees fit. He might, in his infinite wisdom, say, I could use him better. He could be more effective. He can rely more on me and less on himself if he would go through some things that I'm going to put in his path. They're not going to be fun or pleasurable, but they are good. In that they bring me closer to God. I don't want those things, but I do want to be closer to God. And if it takes those things in my life, then, then I hope that I can embrace them. But it's that hope of heaven, that hope of someday being with the Lord that enables us to get through these things. Will you allow God to use you? And will you view your suffering 
as an opportunity to minister in a way that you couldn't have ministered before? Instead of being overwhelmed and put into a spiral and and so defeated and, and disillusioned and disappointed because these things have happened in your life, can you view it as, now, listen, I don't like this, but it does give me an opportunity to minister and to offer others hope. People see and they know what I'm going through and I'm going to exhibit for them the the strongest faith in Jesus that they can imagine. And they'll leave saying, wow, how, how do they do that? How does he have that kind of faith? How does she have that kind of faith in light of what has taken place? Look at the way they're faithful to God. And you give people hope. Let God use your life through your wounds. And then here's the third thing. Those of you who are wounded... Well, let your wounds refocus your attention on God. Let them refocus your attention on heaven. If you'll just flip back to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 13, he, he goes through all these people of faith, and then he said, These all died not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind the country which they came out of, uh, they could have, and they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. These people in Hebrews chapter 11, that they were wounded. And they had a chance to walk away from it all and and let life be easier. But they chose to continue to walk with the Lord because they wanted to go to heaven. They had their eyes on a city. Uh, If you back up to chapter, uh, the same chapter and look at verses 9 and 10, uh, Abraham had his eyes on a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. That's what he wanted. And that's what these people wanted. And that's what we ought to do when we're knocked to our knees in pain because of the wounds. What what do we do? Man, I'm really hurting. What do I do? Lift your eyes. Look to heaven. Look to the day when all of the pains and all the wounds that you're experiencing will will be over and, and the Lord will take care of you. You know, if we had heaven on earth, how many people, if you could just manage heaven on earth, how many people would look to heaven? How many people would live with an anticipation of being with the Lord someday? If you could just have everything right now and have it perfect and no problems in your life, would that not distract your view? Why would you look to there when you have it here? I'm just saying, let the wounds here cause you to lift your eyes to heaven. The psalmist said in Psalm 121 and verse 1 and 2, he said, I'll lift my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who created heaven and earth. He said, you know, here I am. I'm in the valley. What am I going to do? I'm going to lift my eyes. And I see that my help comes from the Lord. And that's what we need to do. If you're wounded, let it lift your eyes to heaven. 
let those wounds and those heartaches and those sorrows cause you to want all the more to go to heaven. So, you know, it's my hope that in this life, your life will be full of joy and happiness and pleasantries. And, and, and I hope you don't have to suffer, but I, I know better. I, I know us. And I know that nearly all of us are walking wounded. But aren't you thankful for God? Aren't you thankful that there is hope and that there is an end in sight? That the wounds that we experience don't have to defeat us, that we can proceed and make use and be valuable and make a contribution in spite of the wounds and even because of the wounds, we can still be used in God's service. I don't think we can get through life without being wounded. Jesus didn't. I mean, he's our master. And and as I look at his life, I, I see a man, Isaiah chapter 53, who was a man of sorrows. Why would I expect no sorrows when my Lord was a man of sorrows? Those sorrows are bound to come. But when they do come, Don't let them defeat you. I mean, you need to be as stubborn uh, as as Roosevelt. What? I'm shocked. Okay. Well, I've got a speech to do. I'm going to finish my speech. Things happen to you in life you don't like. Disappointed with your family. Disappointed where you work. Disappointed with, uh, you know, your neighbors. Hurt by sickness. Death, okay, I understand all that. But don't let it stop you. Don't let it slow you down. Use it as a resource. View it as an opportunity to be more like Jesus. And in your pain, you still minister to others. And let it cause you to lift your eyes to heaven and live with more resolve to escape the pain of the wounds that someday you'll have um, freedom from. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a child of God. I would hope that you would want deliverance from the wounds that you have. I think you're here because you know that there's something better than just what you've experienced now. And Jesus can offer that. If you're not yet a child of God, if you've not yet been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, why don't you make that decision this morning and and begin to live for Jesus. He gives purpose to your suffering in such a way that you can even embrace your suffering and use it to his glory. If you need to respond to the invitation this morning, whether to be baptized or just to say, you know what, I'm, I'm walking wounded and I, I just, I need strength. I need prayers. I need help. Um, I want to deal with my wounds in a better way and I want to lift my eyes to heaven. I don't want to miss heaven for anything. If we can pray with you with those thoughts in mind, we'll do that as well. If you'll come as we stand together and sing.